In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The times we live in are full of unrest, but our God is a God of peace. Scripture is clear on this point. One of the most common blessings St. Paul recites in his letters is, the God of peace be with you all. The epistle to the Hebrews concludes with a beautiful benediction which begins, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul promises the budding church the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He often begins his epistles with the words, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul frequently describes God as the God of peace and a God who bestows peace on his followers. Paul didn't choose to describe God in this way because it sounded nice. Rather, he did so because of the cosmic reconciliation God accomplishes through his Son. He writes in Colossians that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in on earth by making peace through the blood of his cross. In Romans, Paul says that while we were still enemies, God reconciled us to himself by the death of his son. God's definitive act in history was to bring peace and reconcile us to himself. It's difficult to think of a more accurate way to describe God than the God of peace. It closely follows that the reconciled community God gathers together in his Son, the Prince of Peace, should constantly strive for peace in unity. Peace should be the defining characteristic of the church. The church is the visible manifestation of God's presence on earth and we are called to be like the one we worship. This means that we as members of the body of Christ should always seek to embody the same loving harmony found between the divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are to give the world glimpses of of this divine peace in how we relate to one another. The church fails to live up to its calling if it's mired in unresolved conflict. Our readings this morning give practical advice on how to maintain God's peace both within the church and with the wider world. In our gospel passage, Jesus instructs the church how to deal with strife between its members. 
He assumes that the natural state of the community gathered in his name will be peaceful. Turmoil is unacceptable and will eventually rot the whole. It's not something the church can tolerate. The church ceases to be herself when embroiled in conflict. Jesus commands us to deal with conflicts immediately, and he gives us strikingly detailed instructions on how to do so. I was recently speaking with a parishioner about some of Jesus' more esoteric sayings, and I lamented how so often I can't discern what Jesus is getting at. Jesus' words can generate many interpretations. Our passage this morning isn't one of these sayings. Jesus is crystal clear. There's little to interpret. In plain terms, Jesus tells us how we are to be reconciled to one another within the church. When we are wronged, Jesus commands us to seek out the offender and point out the offense in private. Often reconciliation is achieved at this first stage, but if not, Jesus tells us to confront the member with one or two more who are to serve as witnesses. If the member is unrepentant and rejects the attempt at reconciliation, then Jesus says we must tell the church. If they fail to listen to the church, they are severed from the body of Christ. Jesus' command is both reassuring and deeply sobering. It's reassuring because we witness Christ's powerful desire to keep the sinner in the fold. As the church, we are to provide many opportunities for the sinner to repent. Jesus' command calls to mind his parable of the woman who lights the lamp and frantically searches for her lost coin and rejoices with her neighbors when she finds it. Just so, Jesus says, all of heaven erupts with joy over one sinner who repents. The unrepentant sinner is the precious coin, and we as the church must share the woman's frantic concern for what is lost. Jesus' command is also sobering. The reconciliation Jesus commands the church to practice isn't mushy. It's not based on unreflective affirmation, indifference to sin, or turning a blind eye. He doesn't tell the church to minimize sin and seek peace at the expense of truth. He tells his disciples that if the unrepentant sinner fails to listen to the church, they become an outsider. Sin leads to estrangement from Christ's life-giving body, which is ultimately death. The stakes are high. And we as Christians should seek reconciliation within the church with the same zeal we would pursue an estranged son or daughter or brother or sister. As the visible manifestation of God's presence on earth, the church must not misrepresent God's character with the rot of internal strife. In our Romans passage, St. Paul gives clear instructions for those living in the light of Christ in a dark world. 
He tells the church how to live peaceably on the basis of their shared belief in Christ as Lord. As followers of Jesus, our behavior should be in line with the kingdom he inaugurates. We are the people of the coming age, and our conduct should harmonize with it. We must walk in newness of life. St. Paul, as he often does, begins his instructions with a call to love. He tells the Romans to have genuine love without dissimulation. All genuine love finds its source in the love of God, which then flows outward. If we try to love one another without first loving God, our love will be self-serving and disingenuous, fulfilling a personal need. If the church is to be an example of harmonious living, we must begin by loving God with all our hearts, minds, and souls. Such a love will teach us to abhor evil, cleave to what is good, to be kindly affection to one another, and zealous in spirit. It will give us a love for hospitality, patience in suffering, and a joyful hope. In verse 14, Paul begins a new set of instructions. He tells the church how to relate to the often hostile surrounding world. His first command is taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse them not. The world, although in tension with the church, is not something to be treated with contempt. He tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are to keep company with those of low estate and never recompense evil for evil. Vengeance, he says, is left up to God. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, he writes, live peaceably with all men. With the election season rapidly approaching, which has the potential to be one of the ugliest in our history, I've been thinking about Paul's timeless Christian maxims and his guidance to the Romans, if possible, live peaceably with all men. It's so easy to reduce our neighbors to their political affiliation and then instantly dismiss them. Many of us find ourselves so blinded by a person's party allegiance or social agenda that we no longer see the actual person standing right in front of us. Rather, we see a mishmash of grating slogans. Peace seems impossible with someone who diametrically opposes us or even opposes the church. I recently came across a quote that offers sage Christian guidance for our times, which St. Paul would certainly agree with. In his meditations, Father Thomas Hopko speaks about the Christian saints' radical orientation towards their neighbor. He writes, Every saint pays attention to persons, and not to structures, parties, programs, or roles. For the saint only the person counts, 
and everything else is subordinated and ordered to the good of the person. The saint is never impersonal. He never loves or serves humanity in general. He only loves and serves the person near at hand, the neighbor given by God, the most difficult and most divine manner of acting that there is. As Christians, we are all called to be saints. We are called to imitate their boundless love of neighbor and see those around us as persons and not as a collection of disagreeable slogans. The saint always sees the pinnacle of God's creation standing before them, one intentionally placed there by the hand of God. This is the key to peace. This election season, let us, as a church, reject the temptation to see people for their political affiliation, both inside and outside these walls. Let us renew our efforts to love one another as Christ loves us, who reconciled us to himself that we may receive his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.